Whether it be the webcast of a brain or heart surgery or a new marketing plan via Twitter or YouTube, the stodgy healthcare industry is reaching out to new marketing venues to promote their hospitals or physician services. Welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host. I'm with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Joel English. Mr. English is managing director of healthcare marketing firm BVK Inc. and a board member of the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development. In two decades at BVK, Mr. English has worked with more than 100 healthcare clients from hospital operators like Tenant Healthcare and Intermountain to pharmaceutical giants like Pfizer and Baxter International. He speaks and writes widely on healthcare marketing and has served as an associate editor of the Journal of Healthcare Marketing. He's on the editorial board of the Healthcare Marketing Advisor, and he's a president and board member of the American Marketing Association Southeastern Wisconsin Chapter. He joins us today from his offices in Milwaukee. Joel English, welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm honored to be with you today. Well, it's so good to have you. So if you could first give us a little background on BVK and some of the healthcare marketing that you have historically done and how that's evolving into these new venues in the world of social media and also the digital age. Bruce, it's interesting that you would describe healthcare as being a stodgy industry. Ironically enough, to the best of our knowledge, BVK was the first agency to place a paid media schedule for a not-for-profit hospital going back to 1972. We were not very popular back then because <laughs> the stodgy healthcare industry, in particular physicians, were uncomfortable with what uh, marketing meant to them. And it wasn't until 1997 when the Supreme Court validated professional services marketing that marketing became legitimate in the eyes of some And I still think today that there are many in the health profession that wonder whether marketing is a helpful dialogue. Clearly, research shows that consumers believe that advertising and other communications, like communications and social media, are necessary for them to be able to make informed healthcare decisions. So BDK has been around the block for quite some time. We have seen a number of different fads come and go. Ironically enough, as stodgy as healthcare tends to be healthcare marketers often are very quick to jump on new trends, new developments like social media. And that's why I was very interested in talking with you today, because there certainly is a lot of pressure on the part of healthcare marketers to get on the bandwagon. What are hospitals dabbling in or physicians or what are they doing? And also, why are they doing it? I mean, are they afraid given the economy? Is it budgetary? If you could get into a little bit of that, that would be great. Sure. Well, I think there's a lot of factors. Number one, relative to the cost of creating television commercials and print ads and magazine ads, etc., there is a presumption that the cost to get into social media is low. And in reality, the out-of-pocket cost to get into social media is low relative to other tools. There is, however, the hidden cost of the time it takes for staff to participate and monitor social media that is often lost when healthcare providers think about this new tool. So I think there is a cost factor. I think the second thing is, quite frankly, there is the pressure 
to not be perceived as being behind with a new development like social media. There's so much that's written about the advantage of being an early adopter with new technologies that I think people are just afraid to be seen by their leaders as being uh, on the sidelines. And so I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure from that standpoint. And then lastly, I think legitimately social media allows marketers to engage in a dialogue in some ways for the first time, whereas traditional media such as television and radio and print tend to be a monologue. So I think that there's a legitimate interest in engaging in conversation. Now, do you see uh, when you talk social media, hospitals or physician groups, what are they tapping into? And is it a lot or a little? I mean, I know that you know, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I post my stories on Twitter. And so I see some of the bigger hospital systems and then some sort of uh, your more self-promoting uh, physicians out there. But what are you seeing as far as Twitter, Facebook, or, or even maybe some of the specialized social networks like I know physicians are into Sermo? I think the most common applications right now would be the posting of video segments on YouTube mm-hmm as a means to get additional distribution beyond a provider website. So I think that's probably a pretty mainstream and probably a pretty safe way to get your toe in the water relative to social media. And I'm going to talk about safety later on as we chat, because I think people presume that getting in the social media space is a risk-free, low-cost way of engaging the market. I'd contend that there really are some risks involved in social media. But so YouTube, I think, is the first starting point. You're starting to see more healthcare organizations and practices uh, get involved in creating a Facebook page, a product page, which is becoming more prevalent, and the desire to attract people that are willing to sign on your wall and and to be your advocates. So I think Facebook or that kind of a social network venue is becoming a little bit more popular. I think the hottest one right now, and you mentioned it, is Twitter. I think that has garnered a lot of immediate attention, although recent research shows that as many or more people are leaving Twitter after a month as are signing up, because I personally believe Twitter is an interesting new medium that will morph to be something a little bit more pragmatic, whereas right now I think it's just got a lot of novelty behind it. So I think Twitter has a lot of heat right now, but I don't know how much longevity it will have downstream. Well, you bring an interesting perspective because, like you say, you've seen a lot of things come and go in your many years in the marketing field. Give me an example on YouTube as to you know, let's just say a physician is listening out there and either he is practice or his hospital, he wants to use that. He doesn't really know how. How would you advise them to use that? Would they want to put a specific service on there? Would they want to show what they look like or what would you advise them? Well, you know, there's two different ways that a physician or a practice could use YouTube. First of all, I wouldn't recommend they use YouTube exclusively if they've generated some video content for use in other advertising or if they've generated video content for use on their own website. I see YouTube as another distribution vehicle. The thing to remember is that people that go to YouTube view it all around the world and in reality for an average physician practice, unless you're a a highly specialized physician, your trade area is going to be maybe three to five miles away from a single physician location, and you don't necessarily want to be wasting a ton of time investing resources to reach people in other states and in other countries because they just really practically won't be able to access you. So two different possible ways to use YouTube. The first would be just to allow people to get to know you, to know your style, to know the background 
your medical background, your areas of training, your areas of interest. So much of the physician selection process is a style and a human dimension, and I think video helps to do that. So creating a, a physician profile, I think, is a starting point. But then also a lot of physicians, especially if they're specialists, will talk about elements about treatments. For example, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you may have done a series of two-minute sequences talking about joint replacement and what expectations to have. And so I think that would be another disease state or treatment-specific education would be another subject. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. I'm your host, and joining me today is Joel English. He is a board member of the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development and the managing director of BVK, a marketing firm in Milwaukee. And we're talking about the use of social media and other digital tools out there in the healthcare space, physicians, hospitals. And Mr. English, you brought up a little bit ago the whole safety aspect. And what did you mean by that? And what are some of the safety issues that a physician practice or hospital might have to worry about with this? Well, there's at least two different levels of risk associated with social media. First of all, depending upon the avenue that you use, social media is akin to having an open mic at your cousin Vinny's wedding. You never have an idea, really, truly, of what people are going to be saying about you or to you. And so understand that social media emerged not only because of technology, but because consumers wanted to be able to step outside of the normal monologue kind of relationship with companies, and they wanted to be able to say what they wanted to say. So that risk is still present if you end up creating a, let's say a specialty physician creates a special group of patients and past patients and others based upon their unique treatment of a particular disease state, there's no way to guarantee that those folks won't say bad things about you or the treatment. They have the right to say that just as easily as they could praise you. You then also have the concern about conveyance of personal health information. You know, although I have not seen a clear statement about HIPAA as relates to social media, but I think that's another level of risk that might be associated with it. And then last but not least, I think the risk is that healthcare providers may underestimate the amount of time it takes to monitor and to be engaged in social media. A lot of our healthcare clients that are provider organizations, principally health systems, have literally had to divvy up social media monitoring activities amongst multiple of the folks in their marketing department because it's such a big task to try to stay on top of what's being said. So the last risk is you may think it's easy to get in. It's not going to take much time, not going to cost a lot. And then once you get in the middle of it, you realize that it takes a lot more time than you imagined. Yeah, all of a sudden you have 6,000 Facebook friends or followers, and they are all demanding your latest and greatest treatment, and you don't know how to answer all their questions. Is Indeed. That, are Indeed. people running into that? Yeah, I think they are. I think in addition to if you make yourself available to be of assistance to them, you are going to run into the whole range of people and what their expectations are of you. And you could intend to do the right thing. And if you don't meet their needs, you could have the unintended effect of disappointing people and having them be very vocal in their disappointment about you when you really just made yourself available to do something that other people are not willing to do. I would say, and this is maybe a bit of a radical concept, but despite the fact that many providers want to be early adopters of this technology, 
since the technology and the user profiles are still are rapidly changing with more of a usage profile to the younger end of the age spectrum, I think that there may be a case to be made for allowing the space to, to clarify a little bit before you dive in. For example, hospital websites, everybody needed to have one, so you saw folks diving in, in with Vim and Vigor in the early 90s. Early on, there was very little acceptance and very little valuation in consumer studies about websites because people didn't know what to do, so they did brochureware, and the websites really didn't add value. It really wasn't until the last four or five years that consumers have valued hospital and physician websites on the same par as, say, a WebMD, because it took us that long to find out what would really add value, and they're really now strategically driven communications tools rather than being kind of tactically driven explorations, which I think is what's happening a lot right now in social media. Well, that also brings up an interesting point, too, because if you have, it seems like the social media are geared toward younger people, but yet, let's face it, the bread and butter patient for a physician or hospital tends to be somebody who's older. So there would be seem to be a challenge there. There is a substantial challenge. We did some proprietary research with boomer women, and we asked them, where they turn to for healthcare information and to help them make decisions. And their level of skepticism on social media was rather high. It was only only exceeded in our test with their confidence in the mass media in terms of complete and high-quality health information. And I think the reason is very simple, because they know that just because a person on Facebook offers an opinion about a particular treatment or a particular provider, they have no idea who that person is, what the influences were behind that opinion, whether they're even qualified to offer that kind of an opinion. And so I think that they were pretty savvy in realizing that not all opinions are created equal. I think there's a book called The Cult of the Amateur, which talks about the unique challenges associated with user-developed content and wondering what is good content and what is not good content. So I think that that's one dimension, and that's one of the reasons why I wonder whether it might not be good to allow the space to clarify a little bit because the key user groups for social media are not the key, as you noted, not the key user groups relative to most healthcare. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Joel English, who's been our guest. He's a board member of the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development, and he is the managing director of BBK, a market research firm in Milwaukee. And we have been talking about healthcare marketing in the digital age, social media, Twitter, and YouTube. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. I've been your host, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on the air please visit us at reachmd.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening.